Luke 9 in your Bibles. We are considering the same passage we considered last week, verses 1 through 17. I will not be expositing it again. I'm not just going to preach the same message, I promise. The title of this sermon, Little is Much. I told you I was going to do this last week because there was a concept which we can't really leave this passage without addressing, even though it's not the primary purpose of the passage. We spent some time in our morning series recently considering the elements of the Christian faith that seem somewhat paradoxical. The paradox that to be greatest, we must become the servant of all. The paradox that the man of humility is the man who will be most exalted. Tonight we find another principle that we might file under the category of paradox. It's one that we're going to take and trace through Scripture. So we're not necessarily going to rest in Luke 9 tonight. We're going to understand the principle as is presented in Luke 9. And then we're going to go to several other passages of Scripture in order to glean from them this concept in a better, deeper way. And the idea is this. The, the principle is this, that little is much. That God does not need the best resources in order to create the best outcomes. And this is what we're going to consider this evening. That God does not need the best or the most or the greatest resources in order to create the greatest outcomes. Now the inspiration for our study this evening is in the passage that we exposited last week. The Bible says in Luke 9.13, But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. So Jesus, remember, is ministering to the multitudes. It's getting late. The disciples bid Jesus to send them away to find food and shelter for the night. Jesus responds to them in verse 13 in this way. Uh, he tells his disciples to provide food for them themselves. Uh, the disciples are confused. They're perhaps a bit troubled. They tell Jesus that they only have five loaves and two fishes, and that's certainly not enough unless they go and buy meat and they certainly don't have the money to do that. And last week we considered the unique elements of this account in the Gospel of John. It is in the John account that we find the lad had the loaves and the fishes. That a lad was the one that had the five loaves and two fishes. Though quite likely he was carrying the food for the disciples who in the other Gospels claimed the food to be their own. So we read their response a bit differently in the book of John as well. In the John account, their response is this. There is a lad here, which hath five barley loaves, John 6 verse 9 by the way, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And I love the way they tell it there, because this gives Jesus this great opening, right? What, is, what are five loaves and two fishes among so many people? And I could just kind of... Think in my glorified imagination of Jesus smiling and saying, little is much. Little is much with God. See, what they're telling Jesus is that it's physically impossible to feed that many people with that little food. It's physically impossible to take that little amount of food and feed that many people. And that is indeed the point, isn't it? They don't have much. But Jesus was able to take the little that they had and multiply it supernaturally, making their little much, making their little great, and more than enough to accomplish the work that Christ had called them to accomplish, even though it asked far more of them than they could possibly have given. Isn't that amazing? 
that the little that they had was enough, was more than enough to accomplish the work that Christ had called them to accomplish, even though it asked far more of them than they could possibly have given. And this is what we're going to talk about this evening. We're going to view several examples of how God can take the little that we have and make it much. And in doing so, we're going to then consider what God can do in us, what God can do in you. You might be little, maybe in stature, maybe in wealth, maybe in knowledge, maybe in ability. But little can be made much in God, through God. Now, we considered briefly last week the account of Moses in Exodus 4. Do you remember that? We used it to contemplate the reality that it is for us to minister and to leave the provision to God. In many ways, this sermon is an extension of that very point. Moses had only what he had. He didn't think it was enough. He said, I'm slow of speech. He said, they won't believe me. He said, all of these things. He said, I don't have enough. And God said, I don't care how much you have. If I'm sending you to do it, you have enough. And I'll fill in the gaps. I'll make up the difference. Where God leads us, we can trust Him to provide. We think on this same idea from just a bit of a different perspective this evening. And so we move beyond Moses to several other instances, Old Testament instances, that will help us understand this important principle. And with each of these examples, I would like for us to highlight an element of this principle. And the principle being that little is much with the Lord. And we begin in 1 Samuel chapter 14. In 1 Samuel 14, Saul is king in Israel. Israel is at war with the Philistines. Three companies of Philistine warriors have gone out of the main camp and are spoiling the armies of Israel. They have taken, uh, they have spoiled the armies and they have done such a good job that the Bible says that there's literally not one blacksmith left in the land of Israel. What was a blacksmith? They were the ones that forged weapons. There was, and, and did more than that, right? They probably forged horseshoes and forged farming implements. But there was not one blacksmith left in the land. The Philistines had strategically targeted the blacksmiths and taken them out or taken them captive so that the Bible says there was not one sword or spear in the entire army of Israel except for Saul's and Jonathan's. Saul, the king, Jonathan, his son, they have a sword and a spear. No one else in the entire army of Israel even has a sword or a spear. They're going to be using farming implements, farming tools to fight a seasoned army. Most of the people had axes, hoes, pickaxes. Samuel 13, uh, 1 Samuel 13 tells us that those only swords and spears were found with David and Jonathan. And this leads us to the events of 1 Samuel 14. The, ver- the Bible tells us this in verses 1 through 6. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over to the Philistines, garrison, that is on the other side. But he told not his father, and Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah, under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. So Saul has 600 men with him. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side, and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sene. 
The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bears armor. Now, all of that is just history. If you want to learn more about that, you can go back and listen to my series in 1 Samuel, and you can learn about Bozes and Shenna. But he says, come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. And then here's the principle. For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Saul is frozen into inaction through fear. He says there's not enough men. There's not enough uh, weapons. We don't have what it takes to win this war. There's a, so we're just going to keep a standoff going. But Jonathan says, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Since when does God need armies to win battles? Since when does God need weapons to fight war? Since when does God need you and I to fight? Since when has God ever needed us to help him out? He tells his armor bearer they're going to go over to a garrison of Philistines and they're going to fight. Jonathan and his armor bearer come to a pass between two rocks. Jonathan tells his armor bearer, we're going to go up there and we're going to present ourselves to the Philistine garrison. And the point is that he says, it may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint of the Lord to save by many or by few. Jonathan was not some great man of excessive strength and valor. It is not that Jonathan was physically capable of overcoming a garrison of Philistines on his own. It is that when a man does what God has asked him to do, when he steps out in faith and does what God has called him to do, God is able to take whatever little he has to offer God and to multiply it to accomplish his will. That's the principle. Let's look at another. 1 Kings 17. Elijah the Tishbite, the great prophet of God, appears before Ahab. Ahab is a wicked king in northern Israel. The son of Omri. Ahab has a wicked wife whose name is Jezebel. Evil woman. And he appears before Ahab. Ahab who had sold the nation of Israel out wholeheartedly to idolatry. To the prophets of Baal. And he appears and he says, There will be no rain in this land. There will be no rain in Israel. Until the day that I say so. And then he runs away. <laughs> he says, now, now come find me. By this, Elijah was expressing to Ahab God's displeasure with his wickedness. God is so displeased with you, Ahab, that there will not be any rain until the day that I say so. And then he leaves. Once the drought began, God sent Elijah to a brook called the brook of Cherith or Cherith. And the ravens brought him food and he drank of the brook. As the drought continues, and it continued for years, the brook dries up. And the Lord tells Elijah to go to Sidon. It's a place north of Israel. It's not in Israel. The people that live there are not Israelites. We talked about that a little while back when Jesus was talking about the faith of the woman of Sidon. He sends Elijah to a widow in a city called Zarephath. She's a Sidonian. And we pick up here in 1 Kings 17. Oh, what, what? 
No, we don't yet. How do I want to do this? My slides are out of order. Um, Before I move on to that, we'll come back to that in a moment. My apologies. As we consider this first point, this first instance, I'm sorry, I'm, uh, I'm jarring you here. I was leading you along this path, and yet I do want to make the application first. I'm going to be making the application points throughout. Back to Jonathan. Jonathan says, There's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. The Lord can do this. The Lord can save us. The point, and this will be our first point this evening, is where God leads you, your, li- your little will become much. Where God leads you, your little will become much. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not experienced enough. I'm not strong enough. Some or all of these may be true. It's quite possible that you don't have what it takes to accomplish the will of God. You don't have the charisma to gather followers. You don't have the leadership to guide others. You don't have the capacity to administer. You don't have a talent for speaking. You don't have all the answers, but you know what? It doesn't matter. Because God has never led a man into a calling which he has not also enabled him. You don't have what it takes to accomplish the will of God, and that's wonderful because God doesn't need you to accomplish his will. God needs you to be willing to serve so that he can accomplish his will through you. He wants to use you to accomplish his will. But you still need to give. You don't have the talent for public speaking, but if you'll step out and speak, God can bless it. You don't have the charisma to lead, but if you'll step out and lead, God can bless it. God can take the little that you have and make it much when it's His will to do so. And we're not just talking about courage to say evangelize or to step out and minister in the church in some way. What about you as a parent? Have you ever felt inadequate as a parent? The parents in this room? I sure have. Does it not comfort you to know that God doesn't need you to have all of the answers in order to use you? Does it not comfort you to know that if you have just a little and you give it to the Lord, that He can take that little and make it much as a parent? What about you as a provider? So you don't have a great job. You don't have many marketable skills. Does it not comfort you that God has provided and has promised to provide and is fully able to take the little that you earn and make it much? The little that you've earned in honesty and integrity and make it much in the Lord? What about you as a friend? Maybe you're not a people person. Maybe you're not a great friend to others. You aren't one of those that has all the right words at all the right times. Can you comfort your heart in knowing that to whatever degree God has chosen you to be a friend to one in need, that the little bit that you do have as a friend is enough and God can take that little bit and multiply it and make it much for the Lord? What about you as a busy man or a busy woman? Maybe you have more on your plate than you feel you can handle. More is being asked of you than you think your time can allow. Can you comfort your heart in knowing that as you take on that which God wills and not more and not less... You can trust that God can take the little bit of time that He has given you and He can multiply it to accomplish all that He has set out to do in you. And the point is this, that where God leads you, your little will become much. 
If you give the little that you have, God can take it and he can make great things out of it. All right. God doesn't need you to be the best, the brightest, the smartest. He just needs you to be yielded. And if you yield to him in faith, he'll take the little and he'll make it much for him. Now we're back on Elijah. My apologies. Elijah. He has now gone to Sidon to be with this widow, the widow of Zarephath. We pick up in 1 Kings 17 for reals this time. Verse 10 says, So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but an handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first and bring it unto me and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste Neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. Elijah goes to the widow and he says, may I have a drink of water? Now, let's be clear here. They were in a drought. A drought. Like... There's no water. Drought. And he says, may I have a drink of water? That's a sacrifice for her. But she's willing to do it. She sees that he's a prophet, a prophet of Israel. And so she goes to get him a drink. And as she's leaving, he says, oh, and by the way, can I have a piece of food? So a morsel of bread, a cake as well. And she replies, well, here's the thing. I don't have a cake. All I have is one handful handful of meal, of flour, and a little cruise of oil. And what I'm about to go do, what, what I was doing when you arrived, is I was gathering a couple of sticks, and I was going to put them in a pile, and I was going to light them on fire, and I was going to bake one last little cake for my, my son and I, and we were going to eat it, and then we were going to starve to death. This was going to be our last meal. We have no food. We have nothing left. We are ready to starve. And Elijah is unmoved. Excuse me, he's not unmoved, but he, he's not dissuaded either. That's what, where I was going with that. He is moved with compassion. But he's also not dissuaded from his purpose. He tells the woman that if she will make food for him first, he says, I get it, but if you will first make food for me, If you will step out in faith and do this thing, if you will give of the last that you have to the prophet of the Lord, the Lord has promised this, that that meal that you have in that in that little jar and that cruise of oil that you have right now that was going to make your final cake before you die, that you, you will not run out. You will not run out of oil and you will not run out of meal until the day that the drought ends. Now, this woman has a choice right here, right? 
Does she consecrate what little she has? Does she take the little bit that she has and she gives it to the prophet, knowing that by giving it to the prophet, she will miss out on her meal? She will give what she has to him, to the Lord? Does she give it to him even at the expense of her own child? Believing that somehow this prophet will be true? Or does she keep it for herself? The choice was hers because the prophet is asking for her to step out in faith. And of course, as we've mentioned several times over the past few weeks, the blessing does not precede the faith. Faith precedes blessing, right? So she does it. In faith, she gives the little that she has on the prophet's word that if she takes the little that she has and she gives it to the Lord, the Lord can make it much. She used the very last of what she had for the Lord. She gave it to God and God took it and multiplied it enough that she and her son and not just she and her son but also the prophet of God lived for some three years off of that. A little bit of meal and a little cruise of oil. Three years. Why? Because little is much with the Lord. Point number two. First, where God leads you, your little will become much. If God wants you somewhere, if God wants you doing something, if God wants you to speak and you're not a good speaker, he can, take your, he, he can make you a speaker. I can testify to that one personally. I was a horrible public speaker. Hated it. But God could take the little bit that I have and make it much. God can take the little bit of money you have and make it much if you consecrate it to Him. Well, God, it's that little bit of money for me or that little bit of money for the church. I'll give it to the church. I'll give it to the work of the Lord. And God can take that little bit and do great things with it. Secondly, when God multiplies, He wants to begin with the little you have. And this is an important point. Sometimes we as humans, being as we are, get this backwards and we wonder why we don't see God's blessing. We get into our minds how we can make much of something and we refuse to move forward until we see the much that God has promised. God, you can give me much, so give me much. And so we sit back and we wait for God to give us much. If we were this widow, we would demand first to see the full cruise of oil. And say, when I see the full cruise of oil, then I'll attribute that to you. I know that there's a cruise of oil waiting for me. There's a cruise of oil on the horizon. I know that the cruise of oil is the will of the Lord. I know that he wants to provide for me. And so I'm just praying for the cruise. Give me the cruise, God. Give me the big old thing of oil. I want to see the oil. And when, you see the, when I see the oil, praise God, I'll bless you for it. And so we, we sit and we wait. For the oil to come. But God doesn't really normally work that way. When God wants to make something great, he, he wants the credit and He wants us to trust Him. But He often wants to start with what little we are willing to give Him. Examples of this abound in the Christian life. This is how giving works, right? When God calls for us to give, He asks for the first portion of that which is given to us. Right? 
the first fruits of our increase. He says, when you receive, I want you to take the first portion of that which you have received and give it back to me. I want to take that little bit and use it to do great things. Notice it's not called the last fruits. It's called the first fruits. God doesn't ask us to pay all of our bills, then give the remainder to the Lord. God doesn't ask us to tally up the expenses, then give the portion that's left over to Him. God asks for us to give Him the first, to give to Him sacrificially, believing in full faith that the little that I have left, that whatever I give to the Lord, that that which remains, now that which I give, that little that I give, God can use, but also believing that that which remains, however much it is, That God can take that and use it to meet my needs. Because I've given first to Him. That if I give to the prophet of God the little bit of cake, that then whatever I have left over, God can use it to provide for me indefinitely. Right? That's the idea. That I give first to the Lord. That's the first fruit principle. That's what Elijah was asking of this woman here. Give give to me first. Give to the Lord first. Consecrate what you have to the Lord and then see if He won't take care of you. Why? Because God, God wants us, when God multiplies, He wants to begin with the little that we have. Lord, I don't have much. Lord, I can't do much. We can apply it to every area of life, right? What about work? Lord, I don't have a job. I need a job. Would you give me a job? I want a job that can provide for my family. Well, maybe you first need to start with a job that couldn't possibly provide for your family, but that shows that you're willing to take what you have and give it to the Lord. Give Him that little bit. And see if He cannot take that little job that you've stepped out in faith and gotten in faith because you're going to do what you can and you're going to give your little bit to the Lord right now and you're going to consecrate it to the Lord right now and then watch Him multiply it. You worry about feeble talents that perhaps aren't enough to lead a ministry. I worry about that. God, I'm just me. Here's this church. But if God wants you to lead that ministry, you can do it. That's our first point. Your little can become much. But will you give the little bit of feeble talents that you have? Or do you get on your knees and say, God, I feel like you want me to to, to take charge of that ministry. You want me to take charge of that teaching situation. You want me to take charge of that evangelistic opportunity. You want me to take charge of that. And I feel like you want me to do that. But I'm not equipped. So when you equip me, then I'll step out and do it. Well, wait a minute. What if God wants you first to give the little bit that you have? Step out and do it. And then he'll equip you. See, that's, that's more along the lines of how God works. And why? The reason why is because God doesn't want you to do the ministry. God wants to use you to do the ministry. God doesn't want you to provide for your family. God wants to use you to provide for your family. God doesn't want... You to pay pastor's salary. God wants to use you to give pastor a salary. God's doing it. He's using you as you take your little and allow God to make it much.
The list could go on. We first understand that where God leads, He will take our little and make it much. We second understand that where God leads, that when God multiplies, He wants to begin with the little that you have. He wants you to consecrate the little that you might have to Him and then allow Him to multiply it. We continue with the third example. We are now going past Elijah to Elisha in 2 Kings 4. Elisha is speaking with a widow as well. Elijah was dealing with the widow of Zarephath. Elisha is speaking to a widow of one of the sons of the prophets. The sons of the prophets were a group of men that were dedicated to learning of the Lord. Uh, generally speaking, uh, they did a lot of singing. They were, they were men who were trained to serve the Lord and to serve the tabernacle. This woman is a widow of one of these prophets. These sons of the prophets, they were called. And she's distraught because when her husband died, he left debts. So many debts, in fact, that when the creditors came to call in those debts, she could not pay them. And so they were going to have to take her two sons and sell them into slavery to pay off her husband's, her, her ex, her dead husband's debts. And she's deeply distraught because now she didn't just lose her husband, but now she's going to lose her two sons to slavery in order to pay off this debt. And this is where we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 2 through 7. The Bible says this, And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? What, what can you offer that the Lord can use? And she said, Thine handmaid had not, has not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go and borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into those vessels. And thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her. And she poured out, and it came to pass when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. So Elijah, this woman says, Look, I'm in trouble. I don't want to lose my sons. Elisha says, what do you have? What do you have that God can work with? What little do you have? She says, I've got a pot of oil. Oil, oil was worth something. She says, I've got one pot, but it's not, it's not nearly enough. Elijah says, God can work with that. Go and borrow every empty pot, every empty vessel you can possibly find. Borrow them all. Not a few. Everyone. Shut yourself in your house and begin pouring. So she does it. She begins pouring. And the oil just keeps coming. She pours. One vessel fills up. She pours. Another vessel fills up. She pours. Another vessel fills up. Until she gets to the end and she says, bring me another vessel. And, and the sons say, we don't have any more left. We have filled up every single vessel out of that one pot. And then she goes to the man of God. She says, this happened. And he says, take the oil and sell it. First pay off the debt, and then whatever is extra, 
Live off of that. You and your sons, live off of that. Live off of the extra. Live off of the excess money. So in this instance, God provided enough, not only for her to pay off the debt, but also then for her to live. Here's another account of little that is made much, right? She has very little left. She's desperate. She has no money. She appeals to God. And in this case, the question is not whether she's willing to give of the little she has, because she knew full well that the little she had could not measure up to the need. In this case, the question was, how much faith did she have in the ability of God to take the little that she had and make it much? The prophet told her exactly what would happen. She would get the vessels, the oil would fill all of those vessels. So in in this question, in this case, excuse me, the question is, how much does she believe it? Not does she have faith, but what are the limits to her faith? Third point. So first, where God leads, your little will become much. Where God multiplies, or when God multiplies, He wants to begin with the little you have. Third, the limit of God's multiplication is His will or our faith. His will or our faith. In the case of the woman, there was a goal in mind. She needed enough money to sell it, to pay off her debts, and to live off of. Now, I've heard messages before that ask us why she had the number of vessels she did. I've heard messages before that disparage this woman a little bit, saying that if only she had enough faith. She gets to the end and she says, bring another vessel, and the son says there's no more vessels, and the pastor asks, well, why didn't she have more vessels? If she only had more faith, she would have gotten more vessels. The oil of God's blessing didn't stop because it ran out. It stopped because they ran out of vessels. And that's true. And in one sense, yes. If they had acquired more vessels, it's quite likely that they would have filled them and had more oil. But we don't know if this woman had already done that, do we? For all we know, this woman borrowed every single vessel within 10 square miles. She probably didn't. Right? 10 square miles was not something you traveled back in those days. Uh, regularly, at least. So, but for all we know, she had... She had borrowed every single vessel in town. We cannot say that she could have found more vessels even. What we do know is that every vessel that they had was filled and that the proceeds from the oil was enough to accomplish the goal that had set out to to be accomplished, which was to save her sons from being sold into slavery and to provide for their needs. God's will was done. Mission was accomplished. And as we translate this into our lives, let's consider a couple of ideas. First, we need to remember that God's will is the constraint by which God takes our little and makes it much. In other words, when I give my first fruits unto the Lord, in faith believing that God can take the little that is left over, whatever amount I have left over after I give to the Lord, and use it to provide for my family, I should not necessarily expect... That because I gave my first fruits to the Lord, I can go out and buy an $80,000 vehicle. Because after all, God makes my little much, right? So I'm just going to go buy myself a really expensive vehicle and a really expensive house because, hey, I'm giving my first fruits to the Lord, so I'm entitled to this. This is the much that I want out of the little. doesn't work that way. He will meet my needs. He will give me what is sufficient. He may bless in such a way to give me more than that. But the point of my giving little in any context is not to manipulate God into giving me more. The point of my giving the little 
is that I'm yielding it to him, trusting that God can then take whatever's left over and provide for my needs. So the first point is that we're not manipulating God here. The constraints of this multiplication is God's will. God will multiply according to his will. Second, we do need to think about those pots. I don't think this woman lacked faith. I don't think she failed in faith at all. But if it were you, and the prophet of God said, you've got a pot there, borrow all the pots you can, not a, not a few, borrow a bunch, and then it'll just keep coming. How many pots would you have gathered? Would you have stopped at 10? Well, it's a lot of trouble getting all these pots, so let's just, we'll spend a few minutes doing this and then let's see what happens. At what point would the collection of more pots not been worth the trouble anymore? At what point does our faith hit that wall that says, I just don't want to, I'm not willing to go any farther. I'm not willing to gather any more pots. Maybe it isn't that you don't believe God can multiply the little which you have. Maybe you do believe that. Maybe it isn't even that you haven't given of the little that you have. Maybe instead it's that you've limited God's multiplication in your mind. And so you never try to go farther than what you think God can do through you. In other words, right now I'm the pastor of a small church in Buffalo. And I might conceivably be able to say in my mind, Lord, I'm not a good public speaker and I'm not a good leader. But you can take the little that I have and help me lead 40 people. But what if God wants to take the little that I have and, and, and have me lead a movement of 40,000? Is there a barrier in my mind where I say, okay, God, I can lead through you making my little much 40. But uh-uh, not 400, not 4,000, not 40,000. You can take the little that I have and help me write a pamphlet, but not a book that can touch the world for Christ. You can take the little that I have and, and, and I believe I believe it. I believe that you can provide for my family. But not for my family and then the needs of others as well. Have we put up barriers in our mind where we feel like, yes, God can take the little and make it much, but there still is a limit to how far we feel like God can take it, how far it can go? God doesn't need us to accomplish His purposes. He wants to use us that He may bless us while accomplishing His purposes. God doesn't want us to make little much. He wants to use us. God doesn't want us to be the blessing. He wants to use us to be a blessing. God doesn't want us to have the skill, us to have the strength. He doesn't want us to see a little be made much so that we can do things for him. He wants to take what we have and use it so that he can bless others, so that he can minister to others through us. He wants to use us. One more example from the Old Testament today. Two chapters after this in 2 Kings. The king of Syria has been trying to destroy the nation of Israel for some time. But his plans were always thwarted. And he was so frustrated that he was convinced that there was a spy in his court. He said, somebody in this court is a spy, is a traitor, and I know it because every time I make a plan, it's like the king of Israel is two steps ahead of me. 
When I go, he's already gone. And every place I try, he's already ahead of me. And his servants say, well, sir, there's actually not a spy in your courts. Um, there's a prophet in Israel. And not only does he know what you're saying right now, but he knows the thoughts in your bedchamber. He knows the thoughts you're thinking in your bed. There's no way you can save yourself from him. Because he is the prophet of the living God and God hears all. God knows all. There's no, the spy is God. And there's not a whole lot you can do about it. He says, yes, there is. I'm going to go kill that prophet. So the king of Syria mounts a campaign to kill one man. He gets his entire army together to kill one man. And the Bible says that he surrounds the, the city where Elijah is staying. And we pick up here in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 to 17. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. So the servant, they come out, of, I believe it was Dalton where they were, they come out and he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to go get some water from the well. And the entire city is surrounded by chariots, Syrian chariots. Big, big problem, right? And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he, that's Elisha, answered, Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elijah. So Elisha comes out. Elisha's servant, excuse me, comes out. He sees the armies surrounding the city and he says, we're, we're, we are, we've had it this time, Elisha. What can we do against an entire army of horses and chariots? You are one man. And Elisha says, I'm not one man. He says, don't be afraid, servant. By this point, um, his other servant had become leprous, and he was no longer with him, I would assume. So this is perhaps a fairly new servant. Maybe he hadn't seen a lot of the things that God had done through Elijah. Maybe he hadn't seen the axe head float. Maybe he hadn't seen the poison pottage made right. Maybe he hadn't seen the children raised to life. Maybe he hadn't seen those things yet. And Elisha says, don't be afraid, because those that are with us are more than those that are with them. And the servant was probably a little confused. Me and you. It's just me and you, Elisha. What do you mean we have more people than this entire army that surrounds our city? And Elisha says, Lord, would you open his eyes that he would see, that he would truly see the spiritual realities of the situation? So the, the Lord is gracious and opens the eyes of this servant and he looks all around him and the mountains are filled with chariots of fire. And he realizes, yeah, they that be with us are far more than they that be with them. Elisha has nothing to fear. I have nothing to fear. Because the hills are filled with chariots of fire. Fantastic account. Exciting account. And this brings us to our final point. First, where God leads, your little will become much. Second, when God multiplies, He wants to begin with the little that you have. Third, the limit of God's multiplication is either His will or our faith. Fourth and finally, the result of God's multiplication is divine success and divine 
peace. God can take that little and make it much. These things are all true. But you know, it really isn't about you. It's nothing more than you aligning yourself with God and doing things God's way and then God giving you his success. The fact that Elisha was not afraid of an entire army surrounding his city was not, had nothing to do with him. Had absolutely nothing to do with him. And it had everything to do with the fact that he could see chariots of fire. I don't know if he could see them or not. He knew they were there and he asked the Lord to open his servant's eyes. He knew that he was surrounded by God's hosts. He knew it. And so he knew that he would have success. And so he could have peace. Not because he was enough. Not because of his strength. Not because he had parted the river Jordan. Not because he had made an axe head float. That wasn't why he had confidence. He had confidence because where God is involved, where God is multiplying, where God's will is found, there is divine success and and therefore there can be divine peace. It's not about you. It's not about your success. It's not about your glory. It's about God. And this is as it should be. Because God is forever, and you and I are only forever in Him. But the beauty of the system is this, and this is, this is important. When you wrap yourself in God's success, when the whole point of what you do is that God may be glorified and God may, be, may use you as a tool for His purposes, when you allow Him to use you and you give your little so that He may make it much, and when you allow Him to, to have uh, that, His way with you and you push Him to the very uh, reaches of His will, you don't allow your faith to be hindered and so you take, you take your faith as far as His will will take it, You will be successful every time. Because God will not fail. Right? Every spiritual endeavor will be a success. Maybe not necessarily man's idea of success. But every spiritual endeavor will be a success because God cannot fail. When we take the little that we have and we yield it to God, God multiplies that little for His glory. And not only can we not fail because it is God's endeavor, not our endeavor, but on top of that... For being the tool that God chose to use to do this great thing, guess what God does? He then blesses you. How crazy is that, right? That God will choose to use you. And it's not you, it's Him. He just asks for the little that you've got and He'll take it and He'll make it much. And then on top of all the little, all the the making of much from the little... He then says, oh, by the way, because you let me use you to take little and make it much and I've found success through you and my work has been accomplished and my will has been done, here's blessing. Here's reward. And what this means for us is peace. Whether I have a little money or much money, I can be at peace because I know that I have all that God wants me to have if I'm in His will, and that God can take the little that I have and do the rest. Whether I have little or much talent, whether I'm skilled or unskilled, whether I'm smart or not the smartest, I can rest in the knowledge that if I have given what I have to God, my strength, my mind, my abilities, my capacities, that they that be with us are more than they that be with them. When we look at this world with eyes of faith, 
we find that little is much with God. That God can take one man and conquer a whole nation. Because God can take our little and make it much. That God can take a little meal and oil and feed a family for years. Because God can take our little and make it much. That God can multiply oil in pot after pot after pot after pot until there are no more pots to fill because God can take our little and make it much. That God can take our little lives and put around them a wall of divinely multiplied protection. That God can take, here we are, our five loaves and two fishes and feed 10,000 people and have 12 full baskets left over. Not because of who you are. Not because of how good you are, how strong you are, how talented you are, how rich you are. But because of who God is. And because of what He can do through us if we'll let Him. If we have the faith to take that which God has given to us, no matter how seemingly small it might be, and yield it to Him, if we're willing to do it His way, little will be much. Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray for God's people. I pray that you would help them to be willing to take the little that they have. Some of us have a lot more than little. (laughs) To take whatever it is they have, whatever it is you've given to them, whether it's their talents, whether it's their abilities, whether it's their mind, whether it's their money, whether it's whatever it might be, and to give it to you and allow that little to be made much according to your will. I pray that we would not have walls erected in our faith, hindering us from going as far as you would have us to be able to go with with the little that we have. Father, use us, use us as individuals, as families, and as a church to do great things for you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.